We're turning again this morning to the Galatian epistle and uh, Galatians chapter 2. Okay, Galatians and uh, chapter 2. And uh, we're coming to the end of the second chapter. If you've been with us for any length of time, you will know that uh, we've been working our way through this wonderful Galatian epistle. And uh, not in a quick way, but uh, we've been taking it uh, verse by verse and looking at it carefully because there is so much depth and so much beautiful content within this inspired word of, uh, of God. So I'm going to read again so the uh, verses at the end of the chapter from verse 11, from verse 11 in Ephesians chapter 2. And uh, this is the situation where Peter comes to the church at Antioch. So from verse 11 we read, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his precious word this morning. Now most people will identify this day with Halloween. Uh, most people in the world certainly because it uh, is very blatant. Uh, you go into the shops, you see uh, the Halloween costumes, you uh, see uh, advertised on television Halloween films etc etc so it's being made a very big issue these days Halloween 
But in the church calendar, uh, this 31st of October is Reformation Day. Reformation Day. On the 31st of October, 1517, a German monk named Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of all saints church in Wittenberg and sent his work to Albert of Brandenburg, Archbishop of Mainz. Martin Luther, if you remember at the beginning of these studies, I pointed out that Martin Luther had a special love for the Galatian epistle. He described it as being, as being wedded to it, as it being his Catherine. That was the name of his wife, Catherine. It was so loved by him, so instrumental in his salvation, in his understanding, a realization that salvation was through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon that cross at Calvary, not by works. The Reformation is so named because the Roman Catholic Church had moved from Bible truth and polluted the message of salvation, the word of God. They had deformed the word of God. Religious men had deformed the word of God. Martin Luther and others had come to reform, to take us back to the word of God. God had formed his word. God had declared his message of salvation to the world. Uh, religious men had come along and deformed that message. Martin Luther and others went back to the Bible, reformed, they returned to the scripture. But we are, as a church, a reformed church. We are a, a church of reformed convictions. We believe what the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16. The Apostle Paul says that all scripture is God-breathed. The Greek word theonoustos, God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, and for correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now we are nearing the end of chapter 2, and Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia, these churches so troubled by the Jewish legalists who have come in insisting that salvation is uh, not complete, that the cross was not the complete answer to salvation, that it was necessary for people to keep the Jewish law, the rules, the rituals in order to be saved. And Paul declares way back in chapter 1, I remind you that that teaching is a different gospel. A teaching that says that Jesus Christ is not enough. The teaching of the Arminians, the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, a teaching that says Jesus Christ is not enough. That is a different gospel. It is a different gospel. It's not the true gospel. Paul says it's not even a gospel at all. And he says that those legalists of his day and everyone who preaches 
and teaches such things, he says, let them be eternally condemned in verse 9 of chapter 1. Very, very strong word. You say, well, Paul God was uh, being a bit heavy-handed there. That wasn't Paul saying that. That wasn't Paul saying that. That's the word of God. That's God-breathed scripture saying that, that those who preach that, let them be eternally condemned. Now, these legalists also damaged the reputation of Paul. They questioned his authority. And as an apostle, in order to try to bring him down, and also they questioned his message, the message of salvation by grace alone that he preached. Now, the Galatian epistle is divided up into six chapters. Originally, of course, it wasn't written in chapters. Those chapters have been put in in order to help us to understand the word of God in terms of being able to find where certain places are in scripture. They can be very helpful. And throughout the New Testament, we find that the epistles are divided up into chapters. Now, sometimes those chapters are in a very useful place and they, they help us very much. Other times they can be slightly confusing depending on which epistle we're talking about. But the Galatian epistle, the chapters are divided up very well because we find that in the first two chapters, uh, the Apostle Paul is, um, is talking about his own reputation and he's defending his own reputation as an apostle. So that's chapter one and chapter two. So as we come to the end of chapter two, we're coming to the end of those great arguments that Paul is making about his own apostleship. In chapter three and chapter four, we find that Paul is defending and explaining the gospel that he preaches. In other words, he's defending the message. He's showing us why the message is the correct message, and he does that in relation to the scriptures. And in chapters five and six, he talks about living out a life in Christian freedom. So but see, the application of what the, the of the gospel of freedom, the gospel of free grace, the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. So here in chapter two, uh, at the end of chapter two, in verses 20 to 21, Paul is rounding off, if you like, this is extensive arguments that confirm his apostleship and over the last three messages we've we've seen and we've considered an incident where the apostle peter comes to syrian antioch and he buckles under the pressure of the judaizers and he compromises under those pressures drawing back from fellowship with the gentiles because remember that the uh, the syrian antioch church was mainly a gentile church and he's enjoyed fellowship with them, and he ate with them, and he drank with them, and he fellowshiped with them. He'd probably gone to their houses. But when the Jews come, he buckles, these Jewish legalists come, he buckles under the pressure, and he draws back into this exclusive Jewish huddle, suggesting that the Jews are better than the Gentiles, or something about the Jews that makes them more acceptable in the eyes of God than the Gentiles. Now Paul deals with this as we've seen very quickly proving his own apostolic authority by taking on Peter and showing that he's no lesser an apostle than, than, than Peter is. He rebukes Peter first of all exposing the folly of the Judaizers position. He first addresses Peter directly 
reminding him of the misery of the Jewish life before meeting Jesus and walking with Jesus. He reminds him of the contrast of the living under the Jewish law with the life following Jesus Christ as his Saviour. The second address he gave, you remember, was to the Jewish Christians who, pointing out that they were also complicit in what was happening here. They followed Peter. They weren't to be excused, saying, oh, well, Peter did it, we did it. They were responsible, and he reminds them of their complicity in that. And he reminds them that the standard for being a Christian is not being better than the Gentile sinners, as the Jews used to call them, but the, the standard was perfection. It wasn't being better, it was being justified, just as if I'd never sinned, as Billy Graham used to say. And that's the position as Christians, that we are justified. It's just as if we have never sinned when we accept Christ as our, our Saviour and Lord. But the third section, you remember, this was the section we looked at last time. He addresses everyone who seeks salvation or is tempted to seek salvation through Jewish legalism or any type of legalism, rituals or good works. And we considered how difficult it was for the Jews to understand how you could live without fear, how you could live without rules and regulations. They, they, they were tempted to say, well, you know, if Jesus Christ saved us, then you can live how you want to. You can, you can be as bad as you want to. It doesn't matter because Jesus has saved you. The, that idea, but that wasn't what the Apostle Paul was saying, but that's how they felt they couldn't get their head around not having the law to control them. Salvation by grace alone would surely bring a license. It could bring reckless lives. They did not understand that new birth brings a new life, a new power, and a new relationship with God that is based on love, based on belonging a, a, a life that is inspiring. But I also want us to notice in conclusion here, as we move just into these last verses, that there is a, another group, if you like, here. We've looked at three groups already, but there is a, a sort of subgroup here in these last verses, and it's a, it's a subgroup of one. Can you have a subgroup of one? Well, this is a subgroup of one, because if you look in verse 18, Paul turns from addressing this third group and he centers the spotlight upon himself. He spent, centers the spotlight upon himself. He says, if I rebuild what I have destroyed, that's verse 18. Then in verse 19, he says, through the law, I died to the law. In verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. In fact, there are 11 times in those verses, those last verses that Paul refers to I, to himself. Hendrickson reckons there are 12. I couldn't find the, the 12th one, but maybe it was a different version he was using. But anyway, there are at least 11 uh, times that Paul talks about himself. I, I, I. Now, why was it that Peter and Barnabas slept, but Paul did not? <laughs> Why was it that Paul could resist the tide of opinion and it was a, a strong tide for a Jew to resist? How was it he could resist the tide of opinion and Peter could not? What was the difference? 
Well, the answer is here in these final verses in chapter 2. Now, we, we've noticed already last time, if you remember, if you've got a good memory, way back in verse 18, he said, if I rebuild what I have destroyed... Now, the Greek word there I mentioned to you last time was kataluo, means to destroy utterly. In other words, to burn your bridges completely, to destroy what is behind you. Paul was saying there, there's no going back. If I have destroyed utterly, if I have come to Christ and accepted Christ as my Savior, I have destroyed utterly every, every dependence I had before that. Therefore, there is no going back. There's no going back to the law. There's no glorying in the law anymore. Now you remember that uh, Paul's infatuation with the Jewish law, he reminds us of this time and again, but he reminds us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, he said, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the churches for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. He says, but whatever were gains to me, now I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through uh, faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He, he, he left everything behind. He said, I, I've left it all for the sake of Christ. He said, I have, I've lost all things. He, he said, I've lost friends. He said, I've lost family. He said, I've got lost reputation. He said, I've lost my career. He said, I've got lost my money. I've lost the, the future. He said, I've lost all of those things. As a Jew, I used to glory in them, but I've lost them and I count them as nothing compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and walking with him. This was Paul. This was a man who had once had such a, a glistening career as a Jewish uh, rabbi. He could have become perhaps even as a Gamaliel, the rabban. But he forsook it all. He said it's garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ and being found in him. Paul says here in verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And he's echoing the words of Romans chapter 6, a letter that Paul writes later to the Romans. He says there in verse 3, don't you know that all of us, who were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through the baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. 
And then the Apostle Paul goes on in chapter 7 just to clarify it even further for the Romans and for you and for me this morning in verses 1 to 6 in Romans 7. He says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies... She is released from the law that binds her to him. So then if she has sexual relations with another man, while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. Now you and I have seen pictures and, uh, uh, and situations perhaps in, illustrated in films or, or, or we hear it on the news of uh, of women who have been uh, abused and, uh, and ill-treated by their husbands and uh, you know it, it angers all of us to the to the should anger all of us to the very core of our beings women who whose lives are, are ruined by husbands who are controlling and demanding and threatening and uh, abusive uh, and you know sometimes occasionally on, on film you, you you will see it illustrated that you know, eventually this husband dies and uh, at last you feel a great relief for that poor woman. The poor woman who was bound to that husband, who was controlled by that husband, who was beaten by that husband, who was so ill-treated. But, but there you, you see that relief when, when, when that happens, when she is freed from that responsibility we should speak from those shackles of that abusive husband the bible tells us if we cling to the law we remain in an unhappy marriage with the law this was martin luther this was martin luther in before 1517 he was a man who was bound by the law he was controlled by the law he felt under the the law all the time he couldn't get any peace and he hurt himself and he flogged himself and he made himself unhappy because he thought that god would be pleased with him he wanted to make atonement for his sins he just felt terribly sinful but he was he was married if you like to the law to legalism, to the Roman Catholic Church who told him he had to work his way to heaven. He had to work out his salvation himself, that Jesus was not good enough. It was an unhappy marriage to the law with its impossible demands until he came to saving faith. Till he came to that place where he recognized that Jesus had died in his place. That he was crucified with Christ as he received Jesus as Saviour, and he was no longer under the law. If you remain under the law, you remain in a happy marriage. If you won't accept Jesus Christ as your personal Saviour, you remain in an unhappy marriage with legalism. Legalism that will never, ever save you. But then if you sit on the fence, as Peter sat on the fence, you become an adulterer. Having committed yourself to Christ as part of his bride, the church, and then stepping back into the world, there are many Christians today who are behaving in a, an adulterous way. Yes, they are born again of the Spirit of God, but they have turned back. 
and they have uh, they have become legalist again well they have taken on certain legalistic ideas one foot in the church another foot in the world how many people do you know like that yes I'm a born again Christian but I believe there are many ways to God just keep that other those other doors open Yes, I, I'm a Christian, but my neighbours who are not Christians, they, they, they're going to go to heaven or they may go to heaven as well. I'm interested in what they say. I'm interested in, in what their religious views are. You see, that, that's adultery in, in the eyes of God. In the Old Testament, we find it time and time again. God using that terminology. He said that the Jewish people were an adulterous generation. They turned the backs on him. They were still wanting to keep one foot in, in, in the Jewish camp, if you like, but they wanted another uh, foot in the camp of Baal and the Ashtoreth and all the other religions around them. They were an unhappy lot because they were adulterating the word of God. They were behaving in an adulterous fashion. There's an old story told about a very clever and devious criminal and uh, he was committing crimes time and time and time again and no one was able to catch him and the chief inspector he, he spent his whole life trying to catch this guy and the chief inspector he had all these other recommendations and certificates for being a, a good chief inspector but this one guy kept getting away and at certain times he thought he'd got him. At certain times he'd perhaps lay a trap for him. At certain times he'd hear he was in a certain vicinity. And he rushed to try to get hold of this guy. But the guy was so clever that he managed to escape from him. And time and time again, the chief inspector, this guy was just, his criminal record was growing and growing and growing and growing. It was like he was laughing at the chief inspector. Eventually, the, one day, the chief inspector, here's another call, he said, we found this guy. We found him. Come quickly, you. We found him. So the chief inspector, he hurries, thinking perhaps at last this time I can catch this guy and bring him to justice and punish him for the way that he deserves to be punished. And he comes to this place and he rushes through the door. And sure enough, there is that criminal looking at him. He's got a smirk on his face. But there's no victory for the chief inspector. And there's no punishment for the criminal. Do you know why? Because that criminal is laid out in a pine box. And you can't do anything for someone who's dead. You can't punish someone who's dead. You can't hurt someone who's dead. The Bible says that you and I as Christians, we are dead to sin. There's no punishment, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can't punish a dead man. You can't punish a dead woman. And we are dead. If you're born again of the Spirit of God, you are dead to the law. You are dead to the legal powers that would condemn you. There was a missionary, James Calvert. You may have heard of him. He was a missionary to the Fiji Islands. In 1837, he traveled to the Fiji Islands. The Fiji Islands had a, a terrible reputation. They were a very aggressive people. They were a, a very violent people, and they hated, they hated visitors, and they certainly hated missionaries. And as uh, James Calvert disembarked, the boatman turned to James Calvert, and he said, 
you will die here. You will die here. They will kill you. James Calvert turned to him and he said, I am already dead. I'm already dead. He was a man who recognized that he had died. He had died with Christ. He had died for Christ. And it didn't matter what the world did to him because he was already dead. You know, there are two levels, there are two aspects or two dimensions, if I can put it, to being crucified with Christ. The first is a forensic dimension, a forensic dimension, a, a legal dimension. It means that we are dead in Christ Jesus, whether we feel like it or not. If you are a born-again Christian, you are dead in Christ. Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 to 14, we read, Having been crucified with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations, nailing it to the cross. You see, there's a forensic level to being dead in Christ and being crucified with Christ, and it doesn't matter how you feel. And in a sense, it doesn't matter what you do. You are still saved. You are still crucified with Christ. You have still passed from death unto life because that is a forensic level of being crucified with Christ. Peter made a mistake, didn't he? He uh, needed to be rebuked by the Apostle Paul, but he was no less saved when he made those mistakes than he was on the first day on the, uh, uh, when the, uh, the early church was formed in the book of Acts where he gets up and he preaches that first gospel message. He's no more saved. He's no less saved. The fact of the matter is that he was dead according to the courts of heaven, according to God's books, if you were God's accounts, if you like, he was dead, he is dead, he will always be dead because that is the forensic level. You may not feel saved today. You may not feel saved tomorrow. You may find times in your life where it is black and when it is dark and you've made mistakes and you've let God down and you know that you are not living the way that you should. Let me remind you that you are still dead dead to the law, dead to judgment, dead to hell, because you have been saved by grace and by grace alone. And that's important for you to know because there are, the power of the enemy will come from time to time. Satan will whisper things in your ear. You will hear things you don't want to hear. You will say things and make mistakes that you don't want to make. But let me remind you, let me assure you today that you are dead to the law and you are alive to Christ. He paid the full price for you, not just your past sins, not just your present sins, but every sin that you have ever committed or ever will commit is nailed to that cross at Calvary. The moment you received Christ as Saviour, all those sins were nailed to the cross. But let me remind you too that there is also an intellectual or a psychological dimension and uh, it affects our daily walk with Jesus Christ. Galatians 5.24, as 
Paul is talking later on about the life that we live in freedom. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. You see, there is an intellectual, there's a psychological level that you and I need to hang on to if we are going to be successful in our Christian lives. And we need to remind ourselves day in and day out and week in and week out as we come around this table together that we have been crucified with Christ because the devil and the world will try to make you forget that. And that's what Peter forgot. In the pressure of that legalism, he, he forgot the fact that he was crucified in Christ. You know, the world says today, and the churches say today sometimes, the churches say we do not need theology today. We don't need theology today. We do not need to understand the scriptures. We do not need to understand who we are and why we are. We do not need any depth. We do not need any expository preaching. Let's, let's, be, let's be superficial. Let's remain on the surface. Let us be light-hearted. Let us avoid nasty words like sin and hell. Let us forget what baptism is all about. Well, just imagine what the church would have been like. Imagine what the church at Antioch would have been like. Imagine what the future of the church would have been like if Paul had not been able to stand, if he had not understood Scripture, if he had not fully understood and lived in the very presence of the fact that he was crucified with Christ. Imagine what the church would have been like. Imagine where the church would have gone. And imagine today what the church will be like if you and I do not keep to the scriptures. If we, not, if we do not maintain the scriptures and maintain them thoroughly. The church of tomorrow, the church of the future will not be as we need it to be for when Christ comes and back for his church. The world today in Scotland are contesting the idea of what will the world be like if we do not deal with the issues of global warming. I'm here today to tell you what will the church be like tomorrow if we do not hang on to the scriptures and hang on to theology and maintain them and know them from our hearts and live out them in our daily lives. The devil is going to attack us every day of our lives. He will attack the doctrines of salvation by grace. He will, he, he, he will tell you that you're not saved. He will do all sorts of stuff. We need to stand firm. Spiritual warfare, the Apostle Paul tells us, it will rage until Jesus comes. But however we may feel, the truth remains that we are hid with Christ in God. And we can say with the scriptures and we say with the hymn writer, it is well, it is well with my soul. Ephesians 6 verse 10, the apostle Paul said, says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So that when the day of evil comes, and that was the day there where, where Paul was having to confront Peter. When the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And having stood everything to stand, breastplate of righteousness, a shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, able to stand. Why? Because Paul knew who he was. And as you and I know who we are, 
Know that we're loved. Know what's happened to us. Know that we are saved by grace alone. Know that we're dead and alive to God. We will be able to stand in the evil day. And this is in today. This is the evil day. May God bless his word to our hearts.